Hey everyone, this is Charlie Shrem, and you're listening to Untold Stories. This is a show where we dive deep into the lives and personal histories of some of crypto's most influential leaders and find out how the crypto movement truly came to be. Let's dive in. Untold Stories wouldn't be here without the amazing production company, Blockworks Group. A few months ago, I approached Blockworks Group and I said, hey guys, I want to do a show, Untold Stories. Can we make it happen? And these guys are the only event and podcast production company that I trust. Really, the show is powered by them and it wouldn't be here today without the amazing work of the Blockworks Group team. So for access to all the premier digital asset conferences and to check out their other podcasts in their network that they produce, check them out at blockworksgroup.io. That's blockworksgroup.io. I promise you will not be disappointed. I have uh, the amazing Catherine Coley on the show, the CEO of Binance US. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's really exciting today. So I want to ask you a question. Um, you know, you I've been in I've been in this space such a long time and I feel like almost old sometimes. And I kind of feel like I can predict how things are going to happen and how things are going to play out. Um, I didn't predict you jumping into our community. I didn't, I didn't predict that. And I want to <laughs> give you some like, I want to hear your take on it, but I want to just tell you a kind of like, you did it uh, in a very streamlined way. And you did it in a way that you broke down barriers because you kind of took on, you know, so crypto suffered from this bro atmosphere before, and it still does. So instead of coming in and saying, we're going to, you like embrace that. And you started saying, well, I'm the bro. And, you know, how do you feel about that? Um, I'm so honored that you just said that. So I appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, I've spent my whole life working to be the bro. Um, and so for me, it was just another field that was male dominant, um, really no sign that gender was needed for a competitive edge. And I said, let me learn everything about it. Let me be part of it. Um, I kind of, I grew up wanting to be Jane Goodall, um, exploring kind of the unknown forests and chimpanzees and experiencing the other species out there that I didn't really understand. And unfortunately, that kind of wove through my whole life. So I, you know, played golf with the men's team my freshman year of high school. Wait, I you played golf? Into, I did. Yeah. I played in Sarasota, actually. I live in the golf. That's down, where uh, I live. Yeah. This IMG is... Academy. I used to uh, play, you went play to... down there. Oh, no way. Yeah. So, um, so everyone so knows was... of Sarasota from IMG. <laughs> right. They're like, IMG. Good. And Tarpon Springs, which is yeah. still pretty fun. I haven't been up uh, there. That's good. It's a good place. Florida's great. I mean, I grew up in Orlando, but um, the uh, the aspect of just going through life, realizing everything that was um, cooler at the top of the food chain was male dominated. And I said, that doesn't really scare me. Let me uh, navigate this unknown. And so I kind of pursued everything that seemed uh, unlikely and have kept working at it in order to get into the space and understand it. So whether it was trading FX on a, uh, you know, trading floor, Morgan Stanley in Hong Kong, that's a pretty bro environment. 
um, whether it was diving into understanding digital assets or cryptocurrency, pretty bro environment. And uh, I really just kind of continue to pursue to understand it and break down how we can educate people so that it doesn't seem this intimidation wall or, um, you know, locker room only uh, aspect. But uh, it's been it's been a joy going through every every part of the process. Yeah, I, I don't usually hear people say it's been a joy when they join during like a bear market. Oh, yeah. Well, I joined, I guess, 2017 July is when I really got into crypto. So it, it's had its ups and downs, mm. but that's kind of what life's about. What was interesting uh, is that the best time to get involved in Bitcoin or crypto or anything is at that like height of the bull market, because then you get in and then it just shits the bed. Shits the bed, exactly. For such um, a long time. Um, but... You know, I, I'm I'm used to you know volatility in dollar yen for like five years did nothing, um, and and so you know we were we were looking into what I thought was going to be the rest of my career trading foreign exchange and going oh god I, I think I've already written my tombstone like is that exciting <laughs> this thing is you know m- margins well it was super exciting when I first started uh, the U S had just been downgraded uh, everyone was taking risk, uh, into a new level. They were like, Oh no, this is the post financial crisis era of risk on risk off. So Wait, what year to was me, this? I thought the markets were fascinating. This is 2011. So we, we graduated around the same time. <laughs> That's we're the same I, age, Charlie. Yeah. So, so, so check this out. So at the time I was getting involved in Bitcoin, I was like, gra- I wasn't even graduating college yet. And, uh, that's when you were, you know, getting into Morgan Stanley and you know, that, it's interesting because in 2012, my friend uh, who passed away, J- uh, Jake Donnell, and he's actually very well known in the in the early Bitcoin space because he was he worked at Morgan Stanley, and one day he like f- quit like in a fashionable way, and he's like, "I'm going into Bitcoin," and his boss told him, "You're fucking crazy." Right before Jake passed away, his boss actually called him up and said it was the smartest thing you ever did. So at least he got that. Oh, that's that's an awesome feeling. What he would do is he would care just about the community in New York. So he would, he would like put on these proof of steak barbecues. And I mean, he would wear these like aprons and he would just cook steak for everyone. And it was like, um, the really, really nice early days. There's gotta be, there's gotta be more of that. That, That's a, that's a significantly better way of adoption than, you know, yelling at JK Rowling. (laughs) That was interesting. The whole JK and I fell victim because crypto Bitlord took over the, uh, and I fell victim to that. And he always gets me. Oh, he knows you did. Me. You, you replied to the wrong one. Oh, I shucks. did. He got me. But, um, I replied to the right one, but in total wizard terms. Yeah. So she, uh, she liked it, but she didn't want to promote oh, at least you got a like. diehard Harry Potter fan. I wrote it down in my diary, <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I think there's just a, a great world. Mm-hmm. I was beginning to find a fascination with Asia. So I, I just been a year out of the U S um, and I was focusing most of my energy on on Asia because the frequency and energy of which they were building and um, markets were still really unknown. I wanted to be kind of the first corresponder back to the United States on it. And believe me, I was like 50 years late to that trade. Um, if you wanted to be the first person kind of reporting back live from the front lines, you would have been in Asia in the early 70s. But the... Um, that aspect to me is always really fascinating where you're like, okay, you know, reporting back, this is what I'm seeing. This is what's taking place. Um, and, and just understanding those different types of idiosyncratic markets was what really prepared me for when I saw 
the list of cryptocurrencies. And I said, okay, these things behave and act differently, just like currencies do, just like different marketplaces do. This thing is just the same as, as foreign exchange for me. It's a balancing of who finds it attractive, who doesn't. And uh, you know, how, how do we go about seeing how it trades? You can predict markets in a way, but, right? There are, external, there are external sources and you're getting into this Bitcoin yeah. thing and it's just completely uh, not deregulated, but a very supply and demand based. Um, and, and a lot of uh, the cryptos are that you see, uh, were you kind of like taken aback by that when you looked at the markets for the first time? Did you look at it and say, oh, this is like so manipulated. Oh, this needs like me to be involved. Like what were your first kind of reactions it, it to was, that? It, it, it was like, okay, you're taking the components that macro thinkers prize themselves on interpreting and taking them out. So there was no interpretation of inflation data. There was no non-farm payrolls to, um, you know, have a binary reaction to. Uh, there was no, um, like, governmental impact for this. So it was really just, is this thing going to make more sense from a demand side? And where are you in that order? And where does that make sense from how far it can grow? Or, or where's, where's the scarcity limit? So that's really where I was like, you're taking out all of the things that I, sh- you know, current market interpreters struggle with, which is like, okay, the PMI index, of the UK, how did that impact the pound when Brexit was going through? You're kind of like, uh, who knows right now? We, we've seen so many black swan events that it's really difficult for people to be taking in legacy fundamentals into these current markets. And Bitcoin kind of said, yeah, we've got none of them. <laughs> so hey, do you think COVID-19... You kind, of, you kind of were starting it now. Do you think COVID-19 was a black swan event or it's something that the market almost needed? Oh, God, I do not wish this upon any market. Um, but I do think that there is components to it which bring a huge spotlight to the importance of cryptocurrencies and the importance of realizing that we might have different governments, we might have different systems. We all are all still affected by the same virus. And that, I think, is the first time ever that we've had something that's impacted every single human in an equal fashion, which is alarming. Yeah. But it's broken down a lot of barriers where people said, oh, it's, you know, it's because of their socioeconomics or it's because of, um, you know, the way that they, they do certain things. But it's been the same. It, it affects New York as it does Nebraska, as it does Milan and Hong Kong. So that, to me, is the first time we've seen something sweep across the the world in a way that is still remarkable. I heard on the radio that they're thinking about, well, they are, you know, whatever vaccine comes out, it'll be like a human right type of vaccine. And I mean, that could be cool, but I never heard of that. Like I'm thinking governments competing to be the first ones to get the vaccine is a good thing, right? right. Who likes monopolies? But it's interesting. Do you, did you ever hear of the new show upload on uh, Amazon? I did. Okay. It's, we, I've never binged a show before, but I've been, okay. we, my wife and I binged this whole thing in one night. It's 10 episodes, 30 minutes. Amazing show. What I liked about it is all these kind of like moral implications that crypto people are thinking about, crypto folk, the show kind of like looks into that. And it's like, how do human beings uh, react uh, socially uh, as it relates to money? And kind of the, they explored that a little bit in the show. And it was Ooh. very, very, very cool. Um, Especially all the markets. I love, I love, I love that conversation. It's it's so taboo, and I didn't grow up with it being a table conversation either. So, um, did you not talk you about know, like socioeconomics at the table? 
growing up? Uh, not, not too much. Um, we were big athletes. Uh, so it was like mostly sports related or, um, my mom was a nurse. My dad's a commercial real estate. So it's I've weird. Never that done this before, but I can talk about sports <laughs> now. I am officially a Absolutely. Buccaneers fan. Oh, well, you have to be. Come oh, on. Yeah. You're getting goat. Who would have thought after all these years? I know. As of this year, um, we're I, like... You know, tam- as of this year, you're, you paint, you're getting your Tampa Bay tattoo. But I never uh, liked sports re- before. Re- like, I never followed oh, any okay. sports. I so never... this is like a... Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm studying... Didn't, pl- didn't, didn't play them growing up? Wasn't I was forced just, to play them growing up? I didn't literally... I wasn't much of an athlete growing up. Um, cool. I sat on my computer a lot. I played soccer, though, only because I wanted to get on the team because the sweatpants were really cool. We lost every game, but it was yeah. great. I could say I was on a team in high school, but um, so yeah, no, I like sports pants? now. It's cool studying that diligently, but I can digress a lot on the show. I wanted to ask you um, and kind of like follow your progression, right? So, so mm-hmm. we talked about 2011. I actually wanted to talk a little about in, in uh, you were a Globe Scholar, which I had actually mm-hmm. known about. That's cool. I want to ask you, you about that. I didn't yeah. know that you were until I did the research, but I knew about it before something oh, cool. that I wish I could have had the intellectual ability to do, but, um, I just made a jab at myself, but it's all good. I'm allowed to. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm like, you just should have come down to North Carolina. I, <laughs> Brooklyn's got a lot, but it, know, it doesn't Brooklyn. have North Carolina. <laughs> so, so now you're, you're getting your first foray into crypto. You're, you're, you're seeing about it. And then you're like learning about decentralization. I'm assuming that you're going into the rabbit hole. And then your first foray is working at Ripple. So right. I wanted right. to ask you on a, hold, on a your, hold your eye roll, right? <laughs> no, I don't. Well, so I'm allowed to talk about Ripple and I don't let anyone right. else because my best friend started it. David, David's coming on the show actually in a few weeks. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Chris, so um, David, Chris, Arthur Brito, by the way, no <sighs> one talks about Arthur. This guy literally this is Satoshi. Guy. It, this guy is. He is Satoshi. You know, you, you, your hands get hot when you touch flames. When you're in his presence, you feel yeah. it. And you're just like there is a computing power that you have inside of your brain that I will never be privy to one ounce of that. Um, he's an, he's an amazing person. Ripple has, uh, and then Jed was there. So Ripple has, mm-hmm. um, some of the best talent and Ripple had, you know, the founders and everything like that XRP. What I don't understand is like, and I'm, I'm, it's my fault because at the beginning I was so like hot and heavy because I look at, 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 you know, crypto as like a, as a spectrum. And I look at things that where they fall on like, so at first I was like, if you're not fully wanting to be as decentralized as possible, you're a scam. And I used to say that and that's wrong. And I apologize. So my question is like, how is that for you? Like your first foray, you went to one extreme and then now you're almost at a different extreme. What's, what was that like for you? So what I what the step I was taking was going from like forcibly centralized Morgan Stanley, um, where we all were, you know, we're all sitting on one floor. We all had, you know, had to log in together at the same time, trade. Everything was cleared through, you know, central really? um, forms and such. Um, and so to jump from that type of rigor and uh, focus to something that was totally un founded, you know, decentralized, dispersed. There wasn't like the best shop in Bitcoin yet uh, or or a place where you could go where you're like, okay, this this seems like it'd be a good career progression for me or I'd I'd learn the most. Um, And I always just said, wherever you go, surround yourself with smarter people. 
I know, right? Oh, it's career These progression. These are the things, you know, you grow up and they're like, you know, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to succeed every day. How do you get ahead? And so you're like, how do you get ahead in, in this Bitcoin? Um, and I, funny enough, my sister is in uh, corporate treasury and kind of um, credit cards. And I flagged her a LinkedIn for working at Ripple because I was like, oh, dude, they could totally use your background. You've got like tons of Visa and MasterCard information and understanding all those systems. Like, this is exactly what they're looking for. And she's like, no. I'm ha- very happy with my like 10 year career um, at another bank. And uh, I was like, all right. So I had a LinkedIn alert for Ripple for about a year and a half. Um, and I was like, oh, head of engineering. Oh, I don't know that much about engineering. Maybe I could apply for it. Yeah. Uh, oh, head of marketing. Oh, I don't know that much about marketing. Maybe I could apply for that. And funny enough, they had one job recommendation while I was, I was working at Silicon Valley Bank and um, just going like, man, I don't think I want to be facilitating on the bank side of things anymore. I want to be like in the action on the rocket ship, like being able to benefit from this vertical growth I'm seeing across San Francisco. Like that's why people move out there. Um, and, uh, there was one job that kind of said loosely, like we need about five years of FX experience and familiarity with the financial systems or financial community. And I was like, these are my bros again, bros. Brotherhood is a big, big theme in my life. Um, and, uh, so I was like, all right, let me, let me, uh, let me apply for this job. And within two weeks I was sitting, uh, like one row behind Brad, uh, Garlinghouse and Chris Larson and, uh, was, you know, working on how we could communicate with the existing financial analysts on what Ripple is and what Ripple was doing. Um, and really where XRP kind of fit into that, that puzzle piece. So for me, it was more like, okay, they've, they've got a, a good amount of foundation. They seem to be taking the markets quite seriously. They seem to be coming in from more of a professional moderate standpoint rather than full anarchy. Um, maybe, maybe I'll fit in because I was, I was really getting a lot of looks that someone from Morgan Stanley was going to try and go to all these grassroots startups. How many doors closed in my face when they're like, Ooh, you like to close deals? Oof, no, thank you. No, we're here for philosophy only. Um, like do not. And so I, I found that ripple was still very serious in terms of being able to come, come out of it with business. Yeah. So ripple was like the perfect for you at the time almost like a great springboard into Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, it, it absolutely got me to my understanding of decentralization and, and understanding of why Bitcoin was important. I remember um, funny story about SVB you're talking about uh, 2013. I was, I sat in the office and this is 2013. It was me, Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss and Roger Veer. <gasps> I only ever told the story before, actually, this is the <laughs> first time. So we're sitting in there and, and I'm, we're there because BitInstant needed a bank account, like badly. Like we were shut down from every bank, everywhere. I spent all my time just running from bank to bank to bank to bank because we were, we were 30% of all the Bitcoin volume during those years. I, was, I would lose sleep at night when BitInstant was down saying that like, you know, remember how everyone was all over BitMEX yesterday for crashing? That's how I would get shit every day. Every day I'd get, when pe- uh, people showed up at my parents' house one time actually asking where their Bitcoin was because it was like a day delayed or something. But, um, so we're sitting in the room and I'm, I'm like 19 years old and, you know, Cameron and Tyler are adults and they're, they're smart and they're well put together and Roger's, you know, Roger, Roger. and yeah. And so we're sitting in there and, um, and I'm hacking away at my computer. I'm like typing away at my computer really, really rapidly and, uh, and, and all of a sudden I hear Cameron, Charlie, Charlie. And then, cause someone asked me something 
And then I didn't, I'm not paying attention. I'm sitting in the meeting with the CEO of like a bank and, and I'm not paying attention. And Cameron entirely and Rod, I'm not saying it. I'm, you know, I'm on my computer. Roger comes around the side with a notebook and like hits me at the back of the head. You know, you know what I was doing? I was doing customer support emails. You gotta respect that man. I know, but I shouldn't that. have been because Bit Instant had 30 employees and had people doing customer support. I should have been doing my job getting a bank account. And that was a big life lesson for me. Yeah, that's, I could take that uh, still. Great, great lesson to learn today. Um, I think 2013, it was around when Arthur Hayes and I were uh, in Hong Kong having, having the times of our lives. So oh my God. I, he, had, he had just gotten the bug. Uh, I think he was still working. You knew Arthur uh, before? We st- still on the cell side. You're just a sell side analyst on the uh, old traditional Wall Street. Yeah. What was he like? Because so, um, he's, he's he was a great DJ. Yeah. He's a fa- fantastic DJ, um, and uh, you know, a hundred watt smile every time you see him. So yep. he's got that big uh, smile. Th- th- yeah, and he'd always be like, "There's Coley, like always hanging out with the boys, always wearing a Star Wars uniform." I showed my my trainer a picture of him, and I said, "I want to look like that guy." <laughs> yeah. That's just that's good genetics, you know. <laughs> yeah, it is. I, uh, I don't think I I get uh, sculpted like that. A lot of it comes from his love of squash too. So, so now, um, Oh, I didn't yeah. know he played squash. How did you, <laughs> yeah, how did you meet? Did you had, so you knew Arthur before Arthur was CEO of BitMEX. I knew Arthur. F- and yeah. He was just, uh, I think he was over at Deutsche Bank at that time where he had jumped around from Deutsche Bank or JP Morgan. It was a small group. I mean, there's about 300,000 expats in, Hong Kong, then there's about a third of them are Americans. And then you slice it down to anyone that was between 20 and oh. 40 that worked on finance. And we kind of all were best friends. And weirdly enough, that's like 40% of the people I know in crypto right now <laughs> all that's, come from that crew. <laughs> so it seems like that was the second wave. So you had, or one of the waves. One of the waves. You know, let's we talk about this for the, a second. You're not the Eric Voorhees, uh, early you, uh, Cameron. Um, we were kind of the ones that our ears perked up when some of the hedge funds in New York just started buying Bitcoin like it was a fantasy football bet. Yeah, we were the kids and you guys were the adults. And then, then the adults come in and you package <laughs> it up. And then, then the real like finance adults come in into our space. Yeah, then the fireworks come in. <laughs> Hey, I wanted um, to ask you, going back really quickly, we were talking about like that bro culture, and I know mm-hmm. that it's interwoven into your life. And I almost, you know, I, I theorize and I look and I watch, and I almost wonder if if uh, it was done on purpose. And I wanted to ask you, did you ever like when you when you sat with CZ and talked about it? Did you did you uh, did you talk about this specifically? Did you talk about what the culture was like in crypto? Had you known before because you were involved in Ripple, but now you became more of like a public figure. You actually became a huge public figure, probably one of the most public figures in the space now. Um, did you guys talk about that? Did he like prepare you? No, our our kind of conversations really stemmed around the vision that we both have that's kind of 25, 50 years out. And What's so that vision? It was, it was mostly around the access to this next wave of markets or financial freedom that you can access. And the word financial freedom is kind of tricky. I'll call it financial fitness. Like you own what will make you better in life, whether that is your thoughts, whether that is your own wealth. And that's something that should be accessible for everyone. 
And so that's really where I was super respectful of CZ being able to break down the barriers and allow the world to be able to access these digital assets quite easily. And I wanted to bring that same ability in the United States so that the United States would not be A, left behind in terms of understanding how the rest of the world was trading and B, didn't have to be paying so much in order to enter this this market. Um, I mean, I was, I was, peeved with having to pay such high FX fees as an individual. And then coming into digital assets, there were still such high fees in order to get access to crypto. The best way to get access to crypto was to work for a company and be paid in it. Um, You you wouldn't have to pay the transaction fee. Um, And so that's really where I kind of said, CZ, you know, we need this in the United States. I don't want to have to be living the rest of my life outside of the place that I was born in order to access this next wave of something that's super exciting. And so that's really where we, what we talked about. We didn't talk about bro culture. He, he knew that I had that grit inside me from the beginning. That's, that's what I think too. I think, I think he knew. And I think, you know, from what, so I do a bunch of research for the show and my staff does research for the show. And, you know, just from, from looking at that and then, you know, uh, it seemed to be like you were such a perfect fit. CZ is an interesting character because um, his first job in crypto was actually managing the API for blockchain.info. So it's interesting because his job was to basically be like an account executive for Bitcoin because he had all these companies that wanted to interface with blockchain.info at the time was the only block explorer, the only wallet, it was the only way to like access Bitcoin. Uh, at a decent level, because other than that, you'd have to, most people don't realize, software developers at the time don't realize that you would blockchain.info had the first suite of tools, one of the first, there were you know, a few small ones. Other than that, you'd have to connect with the Bitcoin demon directly. No one wants to do that. Um, yeah. So it's interesting how that was his first foray into our whole space. But what a, what a viewpoint. Yeah. <laughs> to be able to have your pulse on that. I, I think one of my first jobs at, at Ripple was managing, there was a button on the website that said, are you looking to buy XRP? And if you clicked it, it sent me an email directly. Um, so from the wave of you know July through January, I was receiving emails from all over the world, of people interested in buying XRP. Um, it's just kind of those, those jobs that you have where you're able to witness the sheer effect of what's taking place gives you a little bit more of an excitement to see something in a longer term. It is. And you guys talked about your vision though. What, what is that vision? Like you said, 25 year vision. What, what is that? It's still to be able to provide the most accessible way to get into digital assets. There should be no barriers to entry in this new frontier. It's an equalizer. There doesn't need to be, you know, you don't have to have a certain size of hand uh, in order to, to get the the access into this next world. It's yes. uh, absolutely uh, equal. And so therefore fees should be lower variety of ways that people can enter. It should be more broad. Um, the way you, you earn know, it, you should be able to w- earn it, you know, freely you should be able to earn it freely. You should be able to create your own economy out of it with um, building, you know, building up those around you, being able to get the, the referral fees from uh, encouraging others to begin trading and understanding how the space works. Um, and what so about that's really once you're in the space. So when you're in the space, and you're, you're, you're transacting and working in it, you know, life is about balance. I feel like the whole world is about balance. Should it be a, and this is what comes back to the spectrum of decentralization, because now you've, you've, you're in the space for a long enough time and you've 
worked and been a part of. So I can ask you this question. I feel like you can give me an unbiased answer. So how did, so what do you think, where do you think crypto should fall? Once you're in the space, should it be like a Monero? Like everyone could do whatever they want, whenever they want. Bitcoin, where it's just kind of the same way, like no governance is governance or more of the ripple method and some of the other cryptos. Like where do you, where do you fall in your personal belief? That's what I find is beautiful about it is not everyone has to fall into the same mold. It has a huge spectrum of ways that you can be involved in it. It can be an afterthought for you. It can be something that you've bought and you know held on to, and that's something that you're going to look into ten years down the line. Uh, but to me, I needed something that would give me um, you know constant access, twenty four seven ability to stay active and working, um, ability to monitor you know what was taking place from a global scale. I didn't want to have to be limited to uh, a regional player. Uh, and that, that to me is really what's the beautiful thing about cryptocurrencies is it, it fits whoever you are. I'm an extremely energetic person that doesn't seem to turn off at night. And yeah. for me, crypto is great. Um, regular jobs, they'd be like, Coley, get a life. And in crypto, they're like, Coley, thank God you're here. <laughs> and they're like, do, 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 you, do, you, you know, do you have outside interests other than this? And I'm like, outside interests other than communicating and connecting with the entire world? Every minute of every minute, it's crazy. We it's have great to, for me. We have to interface with. Um, hold on, my assistant. He said he's going to fix it. Please extend. Why did you set it for only ninety minutes? All good. Um, anyway, so so we can do a halftime show if we need. Yeah, actually, need to, <laughs> to use the, the men's room. So maybe I could just do that. But um, I'll dance. <laughs> so so I guess what I'm trying to push into is like a difference of philosophy on a protocol level and then a business level. And, and I'm not going to tell you where I stand, but should, you know, we have to interface with the traditional tra- financial markets. I mean, that's your business, right? We have to, you're the toll booth. Yeah. Um, you guys are in that spot. Do you think like, do you think that there's a, there's, I'm starting to see like a fundamental shift in opinions. You think that um, KYC and, um, things that can potentially block and limit transactions should be done on a protocol level or should it be something that is handled by those toll booths? Uh, that, yeah, that's, that's a fast. hard question. That's, I know. A, that's a tough question. Um, you're meaning like in order to, uh, let me, let me t- read you yeah. an email. Let me read you yeah. an email. Actually, you ready? So this is an, e- I can tell you he wrote this. This is an email that in 2013, I wrote an email to someone and trying to understand Bitcoin better. Cause even in those years, I still don't understand it fully. And I needed to figure out a way because I was getting regulators come at me saying, like, you need to block these transactions. And I didn't understand Bitcoin enough to know that you couldn't. So I'd email this person who I knew and I said, hey, like, is there a way to limit the amount of Bitcoin that leaves the wallet to prevent a hacker from getting like our password? Like, can you can you build into the wallet? This person said, we can't and we don't want to have a way to restrict them from using their own Bitcoins. We can't limit, freeze, block, approve or otherwise interfere with their transactions. That's the Bitcoin way. That was written by CZ in 2013. I have chills. That's right? awesome. Yeah. In 2013, he wrote that email to me. Could you believe that? That's amazing. So it's like that belief, that, that belief in, in the overall, like wanting to free the markets is such a big deal and wanting that. That's, that's kind of like why I'm in the space and why I love it here, you know? Yeah. And I think that the freedom comes in in different ways to you. So in the United States, that freedom of extreme uh, like Bitcoinism without KYC isn't available to us yet. So we have to always kind of 
play by the rules in order to bend the metal a little bit. Ah, and I, and I, I never heard that quote before. I think that's kind of where I come in with a conscious awareness of that freedom that the rest of the world is going to be experiencing. And also, uh, you know, the integrity to make sure that we're staying in, in lines with the United States enough that we can educate them and show that there are alternative ways than just legacy past. Um, but, but there are, you know, we, ha we have to go through the, the hoops that have been existing and then we can come back and question them. But you kind of have to do that from the other side. You can't do that initially because they'll say, well, no, you've, you've, you've not run the race yet. You haven't seen how it works. So I've got the persistence to be able to go through those, those items and then haven't lost touch to be able to turn around and say, okay, well, why do we do that? What, what, what is this really blocking? Is this really necessary for us to have? Um, or, or where could we have an alternative form that would let us not um, leave people out or leave people? I mean, you think about right now, Bitcoin's really only accessible to people with the internet. So we're already leaving out a huge chunk of humans anyways. Um, then to make sure you've got to go through KYC, that really means you have to have a, a bank account. That also means you probably have to have your name on a lease or a utility bill. Do you know how many women out there don't have their names on utility bills or, or leases? I never thought about Does that. Does that mean they can't access crypto? Does that mean they don't have the right to be able to have their own financial assets that are separate from their partners? You're um, preaching to the choir here. I'm <laughs> kicked out of a lot of capital markets because I'm a felon. Yeah. Very difficult to even get a mortgage. Not that I'm exactly. comparing that to the plight of, of women. No, but, but it's exactly right. Like there, and, and, and look at you now, you've got, you know, it's, it's not like you've gone down the, the, the path to continue that type of yeah. behavior. Criminal lifestyle, um, as they say in jail. Criminal lifestyle. When they teach us. We have to go through this whole nine month rigorous, like, uh, actually, I'm not, even allowed, I'm not even allowed to talk about it. But okay, we won't. In, no, no, no. Inside of like certain federal prisons, there are these like brainwashing things where they offer inmates to get out earlier if they go through them. And I did it. And it like messes with your brain. We're, our, our time that we've been on this earth is similar. So what factors have also impacted our lives differently is, is awesome yeah. to be able to, to parse out. You, so let's talk about that for a second. And then I want to ask you a question, but you know, we you go back to being a globe scholar. You, you traveled all over the world and what was high school is college, right? College. Um, yeah. and you get to basically, can you explain it? Like you get, to, you get to go to four different schools at the same time, basically. Yeah, it was a weird program. I, my, after my freshman year, I got a scholarship to go to Singapore. Um, it was 25 people who had never been to Asia. And after that summer experience at National University of Singapore, I was like, hey, guess what? There's a bigger world out there. Um, and it's fascinating and it's clean and it's safe and it's awesome. Um, and I said, how do I get back to getting involved in going back to Asia somehow? And so this program was Globe Scholars, uh, Global Learning Opportunity of Business Education. Uh, and it took 15 people from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, 15 people from Copenhagen Business School, and 15 people from Chinese University, Hong Kong, and put them together for an 18-month education circuit around the world. So we did six months in Copenhagen, six months in Hong Kong, six months in Chapel Hill, all together, so same 45 oh. students in every single classroom that you had, um, basically for like a year and a half. Uh, and it was, just, it was fascinating. Danes, so Americans, all, and Chinese. I wonder Danes, how that Americans, works. and Cantonese, and a couple of Chinese. Um, and so, you know, grab a group, here's your project. I've 
you know, you've got German-born Danes, you've got uh, Hong Kong for their entire life, you've got uh, someone who hasn't left the state of North Carolina, or you've got me who came from Florida. Um, and it was just fascinating that you had to go basically through your early, I think we were 1920, learning how other people thought, how we could progress business ideas when we were putting plans together. I mean, a lot of the work that we were doing was, um, you know, leveraged by out takeovers of companies. And so someone would have an idea for a company and you'd be like, I've never heard of this company. Like what is Dong Energy? And you realize that that's like the biggest energy sector over in Denmark or um, like poly systems in uh, Asia. And you're like, wow, like I, I didn't even know semiconductors in Asia. And to me, it just broke everything that I'd learned up until then <laughs> and said, like, you cannot judge a book by its cover. The world is full of fascinating, smart people. And we're so much better leveraging others than we are relying on our own strengths. And if anything feels common or um, standard, break free. <laughs> and so I kind of applied that to all parts of my life versus the you know, somewhat sheltered family that I grew up in. Um, it, I was okay with being the black sheep and, and realizing that if I needed to talk about um, politics, I would go immediately to my Swedish friend from that program and say, you know, walk me through again how the parliament works for, um, you know, certain aspects because that was his fascination rather than just looking at things up in, a, you know, an encyclopedia or going internally for my information sources. So that was a fascinating program. Um, you know, my, my family Did was like... people get annoyed by you though? Because you were like, no, I know the answer because I have firsthand like you know, sources, not just what you read on the internet. Oh, like yeah. know as, it all. As like a 22-year-old, yeah. you're like, actually, when I was stunning around in Denmark, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm okay with being terrible sometimes. Um, Interesting. But the, uh, the, but I had enough, I had enough to back it up. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they're like, wait, what do you mean? You, you've, uh, you've, you've spent time here. I was like, yeah, okay, Tivoli Techno. Like, I, I used music as my way of calming that, um, edge of people going, you're a know-it-all. And you can always kind of soften things with, with music because everyone enjoys it. Um, so just being able to connect. Oh, the I dots never really with, thought about that. Yeah. Being able to connect the dots with people in different cultures through different aspects rather than facts uh, is something that I, I often enjoy. So do we share the same uh, sports entertainment or do we share the same music entertainment? And oftentimes uh, that's, a, that's an easier way of connecting the dots than saying this one time. <laughs> well, yeah. One time when I studied in Denmark. Yeah, exactly. Ugh. You're not gonna you're gonna make friends that way. Um, so I've uh, I've had the fortunate I've had the fortunate uh, experience the fortunate what's it, for the, the fortunate opportunity to work with a few people at Binance over the years. Um, actually, we've not we barely talked about Binance this whole time. You're the I'm CEO so of Binance. Sorry. Here. No, it's it, my it's, fault. It's probably because it's life. <laughs> Your PR people are like diligently emailing me right now. Like, no, I'm just joking. My people she too. She launched the OTC desk. <laughs> no. So, um, oh yeah. So I had the opportunity to work. Uh, it's a very different culture. I've worked with your M and A department. I've I've mm -hmm. had the opportunity to work with um, your OTC department. Uh, but it's a very your company's based on Telegram. It's like a billion dollar company. No, I shouldn't <laughs> say that. I could remove that out. Um, but that it's very is one of the fascinating facts about the company is that it does not rely on antiquated systems of communication. So I remember when there was like the whole like, uh, you know, the office got raided thing like six months ago and then CZ was like, 
we don't really have an office. And then a lot of people were snickering at that because it was a, it was a, it was a words, but for him, it wasn't words because he was like being honest. I mean, I talked to, I talked to over 400 people in 40 countries. I, I don't, I don't feel like that's an office. Yeah. Um, and I'm nightly communicating with folks in Singapore, Hong Kong, Shanghai, Malta, uh, UK, and also Michigan, uh, where, where else? California, um, Colorado, like our whole teams are based wherever you can do your job the best. And that's kind of the beauty of working with them is everyone is going to be available and working towards the same goal. It doesn't, you don't have to send formal email, um, yeah. you know, systems. There's not the, the dance of like, oh, let's schedule a call and then let's schedule a meeting. It's like, no, let's work together on the same goals and, and talk as freely as we can in order to get this done. A lot of people have learned during this COVID lockdown, myself included, that working from home is not easy because you need a lot of discipline. So you went from Morgan Stanley, Ripple, working in an office to now doing this. Um, tell me how you discipline yourself. But also, how do you manage your team that works from home exclusively? Because not everyone is cut out to work from home. Like it's not, it's not an easy, some people need to work in an office with supervision. Um, I, I like, it. I'm working in my office now. I don't like working from home all the time. Yeah, um, I, I've always been one to kind of hyper-focus, which is actually just a derivation of being super distracted. Yeah. Um, so it, in when Morgan Stanley, you know, we'd get in at 6 a.m., I'd sit there until I'd wait for London to come through. I'd close out tickets from them and I'd wait for New York to come through. And by that time, it's like, 10 o'clock at night in Hong Kong and 10 a.m. in uh, New York. And I've gotten through all of the exciting uh, bits of uh, news data that got released, et cetera. And people would be like, Coley, go home, like get out of here. And I'm like, but look, I can't just like go to the club when non-farm payrolls is happening. I have to watch all the markets and I have to see all this, uh, you know, excitement take place. And I want to be um, witnessing things in, in, in real time. Um, so for me, once I'm sitting down somewhere, I, I barely move <laughs> and I'm terrible at it and I'm working hard at it. I, I have a, uh, I was doing, doing something and a custody uh, provider was like, you're, you appear as you are using a locked phone from a vault. And I was like, nope, I've only taken 43 steps today. <laughs> I'm like, I'm so terribly sorry. I've literally not stood up and they're like, how, why? I was like, cause I would miss parts of the market. So for me, I think the, the, Working from home, I'm in this great setup. The only times when it's annoying is uh, when people want to play video games or watch TV and I'm sitting here on, you know, 11 p.m. business, business development calls and going like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I've, I've, I've thrived in this because there's not as much distraction of me having to go to meetings in person. There's not as much distraction of commute being uh, an opportunity cost that I have to kind of go through back and forth. Um, and my team is always, uh, you know, I'm able to be available for them, which I think is the most important part of working remotely is being available for your, your team and being available for your customers. Um, and so that, that part of, of working from home, I've really enjoyed, but it's probably, it's probably not healthy. I haven't stood up from my chair. You should get one of those red balls. Um, yeah, yeah, I do. I, get one. I do need, um, something or like a treadmill desk, one of those, um, yeah. But the, and, and my team, I, I worry a lot about the, the burnout because now that we're not having to 
go around. I mean, like if I want to get a snack, it's five feet away from me right now. Um, if I wanted to do that during wait, the day. And- like working from home though, doesn't assume that you need to be at your desk or at your phone or ready for a video chat 24, like nine to five, unless that's how you guys do it. Like, um, I'll give you an example. Working from home, I guess, has like the pros and cons. And one time I had a job and I had to, like, I had to have, it was the cons of both. And I'll explain why. Basically, the job required me, I was the COO of the company, and my job required me to, because they were based in Canada and I didn't want to leave Florida. So I said I would do it. And it was like 20, 30 staff, small company. And um, I had to be in a robot from nine to five. Do you understand how shitty that is? Because you now have to sit at your desk from nine to five, like at home. Yeah. So you have to take like a lunch break, like an actual lunch break. So it's office hours at your house. That is the worst. Never want to do that again. Yeah. I, I, I worry about it. I mean, it's, it's something that my, my team certainly, uh, beats up on me for it because I do get in this hyper focus and we are working on so many things at once that it does keep you continually stimulated on what's kind of next in terms of where we're building or what we're growing in. Um, but we do have to kind of say, you know, step away from the desk, take a nap during the middle of the day. If you're going to have late calls, um, you know, take, take a, take a dinner, dinner, two hour break. Um, you know what? Do you ever watch uh, below deck on like, I watched, as you can see, I've been watching yeah. a lot of TV. Um, yeah. You guys kind of run it the way that's run, like like a like a yacht. It's a ship, like a yeah. I mean, yacht. this yeah. thing's this thing's got to float for twenty four seven. So I mean, exactly, yeah. We, uh, we uh, you have people on watch like twenty four hours a day. You have to, right? Yeah, we have to. Um, I mean, it was oh, great. that's it such was, a great analogy. It was eleven forty five last night, and um, someone popped into our community Telegram chat, and they're like, hey, "I'm having a small issue when I type in." Or when I when I look at something and you know immediately I'm like all right we're on it good thank goodness like yeah I'm this. I'm, yeah I'm glad we're here I'm glad I, the glad anchor I is dragging glad I didn't close my eyes um, are you a boater I am a boater I'm a whitewater kayaker by trained um, or by training and Wait, did you um, work as a guide no I never got the guide status I mostly just did it for sport so I paddled the salmon river um, and then a bunch of the rivers in North Carolina pigeon. CG Nanahala. I can't wait um, to hopefully be spending the, the summer up there in the Highlands oh, area. My friend's oh, on a farm and I'm going to go. Beautiful. I spent about 14, 14 summers there being a diehard kayaker canoer. Um, okay, so doing, I'm definitely going like, to get recommendations. Doing like slalom courses. Like it, it, was, it was weird, but it was, you know, the, the high dose of competitiveness in an all-woman's environment. <laughs> it's interesting that we talk about boating and that you're a boater because – uh, you know, especially when you're on a, like on rapids and you're kayaking and it's like, um, it, it really is that we're all in the same boat mentality. And that's a mentality that's not, what people don't realize is that mentality is not something you can just say. It, it became a saying. It's not yeah. a saying. It's, it's, a, it's a mental, psychological, fundamental belief that when you're doing something with other people, you are all in it together or else you're all out of it. A lot of people don't believe, you know, have that belief. Do you think your stuff from like your, what you were brought up gives you that? I, this was going to go down the path of what I can't explain. Um, I, I was taught, you know, when in doubt, paddle it out. But there is something where when we hit a rapid, there's not even a second that takes a pause. I will find the solution for our team. I will, you know, I will carry us all, all through that, that end of the rapid. 
where things that get confusing are, are when people freeze or when people are fearful in those moments. And I, I enjoy the rapids. I enjoy kind of being underwater, um, knowing that I'll get out to the other side. There's not, there's not really that level of fear where this situation could turn out incorrect. It just means, oh, I have to, I have to do different steps than what I first tried if it didn't work out. Um, but I think that comes from maybe how I, how I grew up or, or the unexplainable. When I was about six months old, I fell off the diving board following oh my, my sister. And uh, I, uh, in the deep end, there I am. And, and I was beaming. It was like, the best feeling I've ever had in my life. My mom's like, what did I raise? A maniac? It's like six-month-old child that doesn't know how to swim. Are it's you just serious? Like, yeah. And so I have this tiny plaque of like, uh, you know, first place in the diving competition for the under one year category. That is so cool. <laughs> and uh, ever since, like whenever I find myself in the deep end, I'm never in a state of panic or fear. It's just like, yes, we're going to come out the other side of this. This is going to be, uh, you know, the next rapid that we take on. Um, so I kind of, unfortunately, have that, you know, come at, come at me, bro. <laughs> how, how do the rapids <laughs> end now? How do they, how do they end? I mean, like, what is it going to look like when we come out on the other side of this one, kind of like the world gets back to normal in a way where baseball games are allowing fans again, you know, when we're in a world like that, what will the markets look like? What will the crypto markets look like? What will the world like? Well, you think, you think people, you think we changed, you think people changed during this whole thing? Or was it kind of like 30 minutes, like, like 30 days or 60 days? Like realistically. I, the, the trivial things that, impacted me were a i'm very aware of now when i sneeze how far those particles and cough and cough um i'm thankful that people may now um appreciate personal space um so that's something that i'm i'm hoping that will continue that kind of grace of six feet apart from people um and the the other components i think are just we're not going to be relying on on legacy what got us here um, we're going to be more open-minded to what needs to be done rather than what was done prior. Uh, and I think that it's, it's a tricky thing to push forward and say, but like, we really do need to focus on what has already been changing. The way we communicate has changed drastically. The way we conduct business has changed drastically. The way we do you know, commerce, all of these things have changed drastically across the world. We, we, can't, we can't pretend that, that that didn't happen. And so I think that's really a great part for people that are coming into, you know, leaving education or um, graduation or, you know, graduates are going, okay, wait, what can I do as well to make sure that I'm prepared in life for what I want to achieve? Um, and maybe people have a little bit more clarity around what they really want to be living for because of the fragility of life that we've seen. You could be healthy. This can affect you. You could be, um, you know, live live every day so that you're you're good with it. Um, and then that's that's As really say, what I can hope for. But you're still gonna have, you know, people. As Roger are, would tell me, from your mouth to the ears of the sky people, because I would say <laughs> like from your mouth to God's ears, and he'd say, "There's no God. There's sky people, magic sky, sky people." people. Oh, Roger, Roger would like specifically. <laughs> I, I grew up very religious, uh, Jewish, mm -hmm. and Roger would like purposely schedule meetings like it on the Sabbath, just to, as a joke, he wouldn't, we don't as actually a do Right, it. right, right. But, you know, there's always those people that are needling and I'm just like, yeah. don't you appreciate how beautiful the world you live in is? Exactly. Even, even the world that we live in right now, even what looks to be, you know, devastation, mayhem, and probably a scene from, you know, Sin City or, uh, you know, some form of 
Jake Gyllenhaal movie, but it's still a beautiful world that we live in. Every breath that we have is one that we should be using for progress forward. Um, don't, don't need to, uh, yeah. don't need to slow us down that way. Well, that's like the perfect way to, to end our hour here. And, and I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm sorry we didn't talk as much about Binance as I wanted to. Um, It'll I always do. be there. Don't worry. I, well, I do this on purpose because <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to focus on the people. So I don't listen to, I don't listen. You were on a lot of podcasts and I haven't listened to any of them. I try not to. Um, don't worry. But I really, really, really try to focus on the person. Um, and I know a lot of people like to listen. So now, um, you know, everyone listening will know you a little bit better now and hopefully be inspired by the actions that you've taken and, you know, the, the trials and tribulations that you've had to go through to get where you are today. Uh, you know, that's inspiring. And you will get emails from people. I'm telling you, you're going to get emails from people just being like, I heard you on Charlie's show, and then you inspired me. People get that all the time. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, I certainly appreciate it. I'm glad the first time we met, I was in a Darth Vader costume. So I've been able to redeem Wait, I don't myself. remember that. <laughs> Remind me. Uh, it was in San Francisco this last year. What was the last big expo that we had? Crypto. Uh, I don't know. I met, I met Courtney. She was awesome. Can I and, tell uh, you, I'm so sorry. No worries. Let me it, tell it, you. If I wasn't memorable in a Darth Vader outfit, then like I give up. No, no. It wasn't that. We had, we had just, so this is, the, this is what happened. We had just come from, uh, I was supposed to Vegas. interview Larry right. King. You were, yeah. you were in Vegas, right. I was supposed to interview Larry King. That's why I was in SF and he got sick. He fell. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that publicly. He fell. So I find myself down to speak at this conference and my wife got really sick that night and it was just a rough, we needed to get home, but I'm sorry, but um, no, I'm, I'm glad we redeemed ourselves and had a fantastic time meeting each other again. Absolutely. I don't, don't think this will be the last, but I, I don't think appreciate so it. And um, I'm super excited for where we're going to be going. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Untold Stories are released every Tuesday and Thursday at 7 a.m. EST on untoldstories.com, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Untold Stories is produced by Jason Yanowitz, Michael E. Polito, Reed Hannaford, and Riley Silbert of BlockWorks Group. Our account executives are Gina DeFelice and Julie Muroff. Our content is written by Kathy Zolo, Ronnie Tishner, and Scott Offert. Special thanks to Wayne Dallaire from Jump Dog Audio Productions. And of course, I'm your host, Charlie Shrem. You can follow me on Twitter, at Charlie Shrem, to continue the conversation Send me some messages, feedback, or anything you want to say. And remember, please give some love to my sponsors, and I'll see you next week. Remember, strength in numbers and information is power.